Like, I guess you used to do that, and then you stopped doing it, but, like, we never really talked about it. It just went away, so. Yeah. I, I think I did it once or twice, just, like, just spontaneously. I don't think it was ever planned or, or whatever, but, yeah, it's sort of a neat phrase. Yeah. Are you religious? I never asked you that. I'm very spiritual. I, I mean, I, I, I'm Catholic. I'm Catholic, and I, I don't practice regularly, but uh, that's definitely my faith. Uh, I grew up Pentecostal, um, converted as an adult, and uh, you know my dad's side of the family was all Catholic, and then my mom's side was more Protestant. So I sort of came up in both faiths. Uh, but yeah, faith to me is super important. Um, but I don't necessarily get up on soapboxes and you know shout at people about it. It's very, Come on, very, you can shout at me. Very personal. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to pry. <laughs> no, no, no. No, if you ask, I am willing to talk about it. But otherwise, I still just, you know, spirituality and re- religiosity are, are so uh, individual. It's a very personal experience for everybody, you know? It's like everybody has their own path and everybody's here to figure it out. And um, yeah, so, but yeah, I'm totally honest about it. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm down with the baby Jesus, as I say. All right, get down with baby Jesus, the year of our Lord. So I am neither religious nor spiritual, <laughs> yet my kids go to Catholic school. So I'm like, a, you know, I grew well, up Catholic. I went to, I survived Catholic summer camp. Yeah. So in the you're 80s, being strategic. you know what I mean? Like I'm, I survived, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like yeah. Catholic schools, private schools are good schools. I mean, look at the public schools. They're a mess. God. Yeah, I hey, I, I don't think it's. Yeah, I mean, ever. Yeah, it's. It's schools are crazy anyway. But but anyhow, yeah, it it's the 2022, the year of our Lord. Hopefully, we just regained another listener here. So um, <laughs> the breaking news: the Kank this weekend. Believe it or not, Stomp yeah. was a complete disaster. I'm hearing. I've I've seen videos, and I I saw a couple posts where the Kank was backed up for two hours straight, and you know there weren't enough facilities, and people were just getting off the the road, you know, peeing in the woods and stuff. I mean, I don't know. I, um, I, I hear that it was the worst it's ever been. I've been known to pee in the woods. Yeah. Next to yeah. a bunch of other 
people just sitting around in their no. cars. <laughs> no, no, I can't even like, even if I'm hiking with like my friends, I have to be like, I'm going to go off in the woods. Like, don't look at me. I'll get nervous. I yeah. get that stage fright. Did you see the pictures of Artist Bluff? I mean, there's had to be like 100, 200 people on that little cliff. I don't know. It's, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a popular area. I mean, it's a great view, but yeah, it's, it's, I'm all set. That weekend is notorious for just the worst crowds ever and it seems to be getting worse so yeah anyway yeah, i mean that so stomp sent me a for the listeners stomp sent me like a tweet of this lady who actually had my same last name not related and she was lamenting about how miserable driving on the kankamangas highway was on saturday and a lot you know i, I looked at the thread a little bit and people were like well it's saturday in you know the middle of leaf peeping what are you thinking even going over there? So if you had listened to episode 23 of our podcast, you would have been over in western New Hampshire where nobody is, and you could have driven around and seen way better views than the Kank and, and hadn't dealt with any traffic. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, there was there were some strategies this weekend that worked, like uh, Mrs. Stump and I went up to um, Sandwich Notch Road, we went to Lower Hall's Pond, and thankfully... The, the road itself was sort of washed out and gutted, so nobody could get down there, but the truck made it down. Wicked cool. Nice. Now, could you get all the way across Sandwich Notch Road from, from Waterville over to the other side? Oh, yeah. But even Sandwich Notch Road had pretty heavy traffic in, you know, re- it's all relative, but we saw at least a dozen other cars from out of state. Um, and some cars that certainly should not have been trying that road because it's notorious mm-hmm. for potholes and stuff like that, so... Uh, yeah. yeah, it must have been an awesome drive, though. Oh, it's it's super cool up there. It's it's a great drive for sure. I highly recommend yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, I want to do that Squam hike we did again, maybe next month, and, and maybe do try to do the whole thing this time. Sure. Yeah, all the way down to Cotton. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's we'll talk. We'll talk. Um, okay, so you've got something here. You pulled a news article about flip flops on hiking stop. What is this all about? Well, I think we might have found an argument for why people might want to have flip flops in their packs or on their feet. Okay, it, one if any. Um, this person here. Uh, there's a link that we have. It's uh, let me see, October eighth. I'm not sure the exact day, but long story short, you can watch the video. Um, a man is confronted by a bear and ultimately just takes a flip-flop and smacks the thing in the face with a flip-flop and uh, it seems to deter the bear. So, I mean, he tried to shovel and other stuff like that, but uh, check out the video. It's very interesting. I thought it was funny though because he's wearing flip-flops and they come in handy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's good. My Still my favorite video of this this ilk Uh is still the girl that like freaked out and pushed the bear off of the the fence. the, uh, the, The fence. I know that that's that is incredible favorite. stuff. Yeah, that's yeah, a good one for yeah. sure. Yeah, but you never know what you're going to do until you're faced with a an angry beer. You know? Yeah. Like I said, just shoot for the snout. Speaking of snouts, I'm sick as a dog. So, can you hear it in my nose? Yep, yeah. You yeah. Know what I'm saying so. Anywho, listen. You got to just pull through stomp. The audience is depending on you. Right. So don't cry. Don't cry for us. We already made, we made one person cry last week, and I don't want to have anybody else crying. Oh, speaking of crying, who who cried on the last episode? I mean, I'm hearing reports that it was so touching that listeners were breaking up and bawling in tears from Jen, Jen's story. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I was like, I, it was really an amazing story, and it is. Wait a it, minute. Did you I cry? I feel like, did I cry? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> well, you think I'm some kind of like big wimp? No way. Um, but, you know, I did. It was you know, it was a touching, touching story. But it, like I was thinking about it after we recorded, like it's so amazing to have um, like a piece of your father. He left that behind when, in those in those journals. So I immediately was like, I'm going to start writing a journal. So when I die, my kids will find my journal. But then I was like, yeah, forget it. I'm too tired. Uh, I know. I'm going to watch TikToks instead. <laughs> Scroll through your phone. Useless I'm time. Like, they can listen to this podcast if they want to like, you know, have a memory of me, I guess. Yeah, that's true. It could work out that way. Yeah. A little diary up yeah. on the web. Yeah, uh, who knows? But Jen and Mike were great. We got to get we gotta get them back. Maybe we'll get Bella on and, you know, we do a kids hiking section. That'd be fun. But uh, yeah, it was a great show. Lots of positive yeah. feedback. Yeah, it was. Uh, but speaking of TikTok stuff, I just saw I, like I just saw this video, and I wanted to just throw this in in the opening because it's kind of funny. Like, there's this like there's this like genre of TikTok videos where these like it's usually like these twenty something girls that are in like a certain area, and they'll be like, what what um what state you live in t- tells me you know what state you live in tells me about you or whatever or what part of the country <laughs> okay. you live in so she, this girl like she she's this girl as far as i can tell she's like you know graduated college she's just starting her career like mid 20s knows and she's everything like, yeah what and she lives in boston so and she so she thinks she knows everything about new england or whatever but she's like what's what guys what states guys live in in new england tells me about them or whatever so she's just basically doing stereotypes so yeah i was i was laughing in new hampshire she's like if you're from if he's from new hampshire he usually will choose an outdoor sport that will be his entire personality <laughs> she talks about she's like it's and i'll include the video in the show notes and she's like usually it's either hockey skiing snowboarding golf or hunting and fishing and she's like he probably went to unh or his entire family went to unh and then she said, he's usually like six years behind on current fashion trends. So I was like, yeah, that one's pretty good. Pretty I'm good. like, I got to give that to the guys in New Hampshire. And dental work. <laughs> well, hold on, stop. You're going to get canceled. That's you better stereo. watch out. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. And then she said, he probably owns a pair of cargo shorts somewhere. And I was like, yeah, that's that's all right. And then uh, she said that he's probably obsessed with Morgan Wallen, and um, th- he's like a country singer. My, I don't know if my daughter likes that. him, so I don't know. But then she went on to talk about guys from Vermont, and she basically was like, the thing you want to look for from guys from Vermont is that if they're from Vermont and they've moved out of Vermont, mm-hmm. that's good. But if, they've, if they're from Vermont and they've never left Vermont, <laughs> that's bad. Run. Run for the hills. <laughs> Uh, but she said that they're typically super outdoorsy, but in a good hikerish sort of way. So she likes hikers. Wait, what? The ones that stay in Vermont, or, I, or no, no? You have to. So her theory is like, if he's from Vermont, but he leaves Vermont. No, I get that, but and then he's outdoorsy, then that's a good thing. He's usually like outdoorsy and hikerish. But if if oh, he had never never left Vermont, then that's don't touch it. To to Vermont, yes. <laughs> okay, I got it. Yeah. Oh, so boy. anyway, I guess that's like a little bit of a well, a look into the dating minds of 20-something-year-old girls from Boston when they think of guys from New Hampshire and Vermont. So guys, if you're going down to Boston to go to the bars and you're looking to meet a girl, then 
take that information and do with it what you will. I mean, there's little kernels of truth and everything there, though. It's sort of funny. Oh, yeah, definitely I would like say the so. six years behind on fashion trends. Like, <laughs> that's, that's so new. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Oh, too funny. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, all right, so I guess last thing here, Snop, you put in a little something here in the show open and it's talking about listeners, so you just wanted to give some metrics. Oh, yeah, I found it fascinating. I was sick all weekend, so I was just sitting around bored. So here's where our yeah. listeners... Let, let's keep this under an hour today so oh, we don't have to do every country. No, absolutely not. But I mean, yeah. we're we're listening. I know that a lot of your, your worker, co-workers and whatever are scattered everywhere, but... I don't think that accounts for everything now, especially in America, because we're up to 49 states. The only state that doesn't listen to us is South Dakota. So that's pretty wild. So South Dakota, mm-hmm. anybody, I mean, drive out, somebody drive out there and listen to us once and then drive back. Uh, well, so my we, dad used to have a house in South Dakota, so we had a retirement house out there, but he, he ended up selling it and getting a place in Vermont. Oh, see, you could have so, solved yeah. this, but oh, well, that's all right. So yeah. anyway... Listenership, 20 plus countries. First place is the U.S. with 29,000 listens. Massachusetts beats New Hampshire by double. I mean, they're at 9K and New Hampshire's at like 4K for for listens. Um, Canada, 357. And within Canada, British Columbia is in first place. There's sort of a pattern. It seems like it's more the mountainous areas too, which I found really interesting. Then Australia, you have Queensland coming in. Uh, so Australia's in third place, and then the UK is in fourth place with 51 downloads, with Scotland being in first place for the most listens. And then from there, it goes to like Germany, Netherlands, New Zealand. 12 later, you're down to like Saudi Arabia, Romania. So it's just really interesting to look at, but it's getting out there, huh? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, in, it's interesting. I think these numbers are probably like, is it this year or is it just like it's it's a it's not I not think it's total downloads. I don't know if it's this year or cumulative. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it's just a certain time frame. I think it defaults to like the first 90 days or something like that. But it's cool. Yeah. I also but the thing I do wonder is like some of these could be redirects from VPN stops, so it may not be huh. that somebody's actually accessing us from South Africa. It could just be getting bounced through a, a VPN. I think. But oh, either way, that's interesting. I'll take it. Well, what do you know? What are you part of? Like some big internet company or something i got a little bit of a tech background <laughs> i mean i'm in hr so i i only i only know a little bit but all right just saying i got um, it but the first three or four can be fairly reliable oh, i yeah. guess yeah, got it no doubt about it so thank you to our international listeners um so next up here is you've got a uh it's called the hunt for the hungry yeah, was, yeah, okay. This is an article from New Hampshire Fishing Game. Yes. Yeah, so basically it's um it's a New Hampshire food bank and what's happening here, New Hampshire hunters can share their fall harvest, um, their game that they capture and, and or kill and uh, donate it to the New Hampshire Food Bank, which is a, a program of the Catholic Charities and it basically provides processed deer and moose for distribution to more than 400 food pantry soup kitchens, homeless shelters and groups, groups, oh sorry group homes statewide, so that's pretty neat last year they donated 2,000 pounds of donated meat so check it out, if you want to learn more about it, uh, call the New Hampshire Food Bank and there's a number 603-669-9725 so that's a nice little charity for the holidays I mean, times are definitely tough with the increase in um, food costs and everything else. So, yeah, 
Yeah, it's ex- it's expensive, especially meat right now. And I think also, Stomp, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it when when the fishing game catches poachers or they find um, you know meat that has been obtained through poaching, I'm pretty sure that they donate that to the New Hampshire Food Bank as well. Yeah, I believe so. I have seen situations like that. And, you know, if there are search and rescue training events for all the teams and there's leftover food, we donate all that stuff to local agencies and whatnot. So, yeah, there's a lot of that charitable stuff going on. Um, You might find this interesting. Um, I'll be brief about it, but we're buying a quarter of a cow. And uh, it's going to be for food. So we're, we're in on a cow for, it's going to be ready in a f- number of months. And a quarter of a cow is enough food for two people for like a year. So we're going to get it cut yeah. up and doled out and you know, get the stuff frozen. Isn't that neat? Yeah. Do you have um, a freezer in your basement? Yeah, do we have, do. Like, a basement freezer? Yeah. It's not the, I got to get one of those. It's not the biggest thing, but I mean, from what I'm hearing internationally and what's going on in the world... It, there's a lot of rumbling about food tightness, so I don't know. We're just Stomp thinking is ahead. Prepping, prepping. <laughs> 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 the prepper. Uh, yeah, uh, too I funny. Believe, I don't believe you. When COVID went down, like I was ahead of that. Like I actually went like two, three weeks before um, COVID was happening or, or COVID Stack shutdown up. happened. Like I went to the grocery store and I stocked up on like a ton of stuff. Me too. And my wife and kids gave me such a hard time. Right. And then like two weeks later, they were not giving me a hard time because we had all the food we needed and didn't have to go to the grocery store. Yeah. And oh yeah, I did the same thing. I was actually sort of embarrassed doing it, but it helped out quite a bit. I mean, yeah. I have, remember my shopping cart was maybe three feet higher full of stuff than the top rim of the basket. Yeah, yeah, it happens. So, but that's cool. And, yeah, um, I've been meaning to like. I keep. I need to clear. Like, I don't have that much storage down here, but yeah. I do have a little section, and I want to clear it out and get like one of those deep, you know, the the freezers that are you know, or can store a bunch of stuff. And I've watched a bunch of videos on YouTube about like butchers and cutting up meat and yeah. stuff like that. And I don't know if I would buy a a quarter cow. Does a cow have a name, by the way? Do you get the name? Or uh, is it? We'll name it when we, yeah. And it's an interesting process, but there's a, a local farm that does that. But I don't know. I'm not crazy about prepping. I mean, I'm certainly not prepared now, but I think it's a good time to, you know, meet your neighbors and make connections with the local food co-op and stuff like that. Because, I, I you know, you, you start hearing it from the, the World Health Organization and the UN. I mean, there's definitely issues. The supply line the war there's multiple factors that are impacting the uh the food for probably what next year even later this year from yeah, what i'm yeah, understanding I don't know, but i mean it, it's also like it's if you have it frozen like there's no there's no downside for you like you're you're going to eat that meat over time and it's oh, sure. a lot easier to do that and not go to the grocery store so absolutely and the price it stays the same i mean god knows what yep. the price is going to do so Interesting. Yeah. Right. So I'm gonna get. We're, we're gonna report more on this later. But sure. moving on, we got some White Mountain news here. We've got a new. What is this? Like Philip Cassie has got a new fastest known time. Is that what's going on here? Well, I believe this is the uh, the full White Mountain uh, trails endeavor. Yes. So yeah, yeah. So this guy yeah. has been doing this for like the last three summers, I think. Right. He's been trying to do this. He's been trying, right? And he finally pulled it off. So we, you know, two thousand miles over ninety days, and uh, he's getting recognized by outdoor outside magazine and other places. So you know, it's worth mentioning. Uh, congrats, Phil. I know that was a lot of work, and uh, 
ah, better you than me, man. That, that must have been a hard, hard jaunt, but uh, very uh, well deserved. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That is a like a um, a hard, lonely pursuit <laughs> exactly. that that dude has been going through for the last like three summers. So um, I think that. You know, this, so he's basically doing the red line. He calls it the trace. You know, there's a whole controversy around red line versus trace that we've talked about. I think we talked about it in episode three, but this dude basically, like, has been attempting to do this in a single season yeah. to do every trail in the White Mountains in a single season. I think the first time. As far as I could tell, it was a bit of a a mess. You know, I think he just gave up on tracking and he couldn't keep, you know, he just couldn't get it done in the in the time. And then I think he learned a little bit of a lesson. I don't know if he had injuries last year, but it looks like he got it done this year. So um, I don't know how big of a fan that dude is of me because I've been a little bit critical the first time around. You know, he was marketing as an, as a fastest known time. You got to have the data to back that up. He didn't have the data at the time, but I think based on what I've seen, he's got everything tucked and tied at this point. So, you know, if, he, up. if he's completed it, then congratulations. It's, a, it's an awesome endeavor. Yes. Yes. Ditto. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, he's not a 71 year old that just finished the PCT. <laughs> Did you hear this story? Oh yeah. I mean, that's oh. the, I mean, these older hikers I can't believe are, are these. amazing. So here's the link. This 71 year old just finished the PCT 2,650 miles. Uh, let's see. It's a sort of a lengthy story. Uh, he, Oh yeah. I don't know. You got to see the picture of the fella. He looks like he's in fantastic shape, by the way. Doesn't look a day over 50. His beard and his hair is white, but he looks very fit and uh, he pulled it off. So they're, they're killing it out there. I just can't get over these, uh, these folks doing this. So he started, I'll be one of those old guys someday. That's my plan. Oh yeah. So March 17th and then ended on August 30th, eight, with his wife walking 1,800 miles alongside of him. So how cool is that? Wow. That's great. Yeah, that's really neat. So there's a lot of good stuff happening. If you haven't noticed, I've tried to sort of front load the intro here with more hiking-oriented stuff. I know sometimes we get a little off track with these, but um, are you ready for another one? Sure. (laughs) This is probably the best one yet. Um, This is the Ironman Triathlon. And apparently, on his 23rd birthday, uh, Chris Nickick, N-I-K-I-C, became the first person with Down syndrome to finish the Ironman World Championship. Uh, It's a really neat story. Uh, So, there you have it. You can check out the video, and it's really heartwarming stuff, but a lot of cool stuff happening out there in the hiking and athletic community. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, a full Ironman is crazy, especially I think that that's the world championship that's probably in Hawaii. I've done a half half Ironman. Yeah. And that is like probably will go down as the most difficult physical pursuit I've ever done. Uh Um, I always had in my mind like, oh, I'll do a full Ironman someday. Maybe I will. Yeah. But um, that half was brutal. I can only imagine what that full Ironman was. So that's impressive, especially um, somebody that's, you know, more physically challenged. So good for him. Gotcha. Uh, a couple other things. I mean, somebody set the Maui, Maui star, uh, statues on Easter Island on fire. So there's arson going on there. Um, that's a crazy story. 
Um, the Rescue 5K is coming up soon to benefit Lakes Region Search and Rescue. I believe it's, oh goodness, November, what is, what is the date again? November? I said November 5th. November 12th. Saturday, 12th. November 12th. Wait a minute, is that right? Yeah, Saturday, November 12th. Yeah. I don't know why it says November 19th below it, but anywho, uh, look it up and um, we'll give you the uh, sign up link too, um, just in case you want to run this. And it's a good good thing for uh, for that team, just to help them out with some donations. Okay. Yeah. Great. Uh, all right, pop culture talk here. So this is a chance, Stomp, you get to put in your new uh, popcorn <laughs> audio drop. So mark that. Yes. Um, yeah. So Anna, Del- Anna Delvey update. Is this the girl that's on? Um, oh, this is the fake. This is the girl that had the weird accent. Inventing right? Anna. Yeah, she was yeah, the, yeah. the scam artist from from what I can tell. Apparently, um, whoops, apparently she uh, was granted bail and she's just waiting to be deported from the U.S., but she's barred from social media. So she promised the court that she's not supposed to get on social media. So I don't know. She's on 24-hour confinement in New York. So did you see that series, Mike? I did. I did. And I have a theory about her. So for, for whatever reason, like this girl seems to like be able to avoid real. I mean, she. Oh, yeah. Her luck ran out. But she seems like in my theory that she will avoid getting deported and we'll hear from her, we'll hear a new story about her like five or six years from now where she'll be like squatting in some multimillion dollar <laughs> like penthouse apartment in New York and under a different and somehow name. like they won't be able to like legally get her out of it or something. Yeah. That'll that'll be her move. Yeah. And if you haven't seen that show, then check it out. It's actually really brilliant. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, Julia- scam artist and con artist. They're, they're, they're an interesting breed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. And uh, hey, why don't you take the next one? Because you, you brought this up on the last episode, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. So we were talking about cheating scandals. So we had um, a poker scandal. We had a fishing scandal. We had the Miss USA scandal. <laughs> and then we also had this chess scandal. So this dude, um, Hans Niemann, who had beaten um, Magnus Carlsen, who is the, the, the great, one of the greatest grandmasters of all time, in an over-the-board match, he and then got you know accused of cheating, got proven to be a cheater in online chess, and has been going to different over-the-board tournaments. So um, he got a metal detector uh, scan before playing a game, and they specifically checked his butt. So <laughs> that's um, what you get. He was accused of using wireless vibrating beads to cheat in a tournament last month. Yeah, amazing. So they're on top of him. He's getting the eye. Yeah. He's getting scrutinized. Very interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And um, this week's House of Dragons impression for me, it was all about Damon and Eamon One-Eye going sort of um, doing a, a little bit of a, a silent dance with uh, some foreshadowing of what is to come. You know, basically Damon is the big fish and Eamon One-Eye is the little fish. And I think eventually they are going to... Um, hash out their their rivalry in the future but this this week was an amazing episode oh and yeah it was all about damon and eamon one eye yeah so good and i just heard today that martin sent a text or posted on Insta- or social media that the actor that plays viserys the king mm-hmm. 
Martin said that his Viserys is better than the book's Viserys. That's a very nice compliment. Oh yeah, yeah, incredible. Yeah, much more of a yeah, much more of a rounded out character. Um, that mm. moment where he entered the uh, the the throne room and and climbed up on the Iron Throne was just wow. probably one of the best moments in television. I mean, if he doesn't win oh, yeah. an Emmy for and, his performance, then I don't know. I said the same. What you have to do to win an Emmy? Yeah, his acting is standing out amongst all of them. Amazing, great stuff. Yeah. So. Amazing, but okay, let's let's move through this here, yeah. Stomp. So you got a couple of recommendations. What do you got? Yeah, just started the Midnight Club, just in time for Halloween. It's by the makers of uh, the Haunting of Hill House and Bly Manor. It's fantastic. It's it's a really neat idea. It's a bunch of adolescents that are in a youth hospice, and it's the same type of thing. There's a deep dark history with this building and this and that, but uh, it's really great. And then on top of that, this weekend, I was absolutely blown away. I was sort of bored, you know, with my fever. And I'm, I'm looking around and I see this movie, uh, the show called Aftershock. And it's a documentary about the earthquake that happened in Nepal. I think it was, what, 2015 maybe? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So the first five minutes blew me away. Just the footage and what they did with the footage is absolutely amazing. If you can see the first episode, you're good to go because you're going to see what happened to Kathmandu and Langtang Village and all these places. The footage is mind-blowing. So highly recommended. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check this out. Probably watch this tonight after the show. But I think mm. the issue there was that there was, um, you know, climbers that got caught in that Kumbu ice field during the um, the earthquake, and that's just not a place that you want to be when anything is shifting around. We talked a little bit about that with Martin before. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember? Here's a weird reference, but the long night in Game of Thrones with the the, mm-hmm. the yeah. snow cloud coming in towards. Uh, yes, I'm telling. you, Tell me, tell me if it's the same thing because it's terrifying. It's just like that in real life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that reminds me of like nine eleven with the with the dust oh, cloud that yeah. came into it. This is the same idea. Yeah, it's crazy. Incredible stuff. Great. Yeah. All right, stomp. So moving on to sponsors and coffee talk. All right. So we have a donation from Lauren and Jess. Uh, they donated two, and they were listening to the show on the way up to Jackson and Webster. So Lauren and Jess, thank you so much. And um, we want to plug Spinner's Pizza uh, in Andover, Massachusetts, right off 93 Dascom Road. Best pizza in town. Say hi to Dolls and Pops and they'll stick you. <laughs> they'll, st- <laughs> they'll stick you with a sticker. How's that sound? <laughs> and then EMS, your Northeast go-to for outdoor gear, guidance, education, and more since 1967. Uh, they just put out a new thing on Go East about the Pemi Loop, I believe. So... Type 2 Adventures, if I remember correctly. That was the title. Let's see. And, of course, at Reckless Brewing. And uh, they're doing a lot for Halloween here. And uh, all their pumpkin beers are out. They are in Bethlehem, New Hampshire, just 15 minutes from Franconia Notch, the 4K footers, and less than 10 minutes from the Five Corners. Yahoo. All right, so welcome to episode 78 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week, we bring you to the center of the White Mountains universe, also known as Mount Carrigan. Mm. Join us as we break down the various approaches to this classic New Hampshire hike, uh, and then we will also throw in some stories of near misses misses of disaster. So stomp 
almost died when he climbed the Mount Lowell Chute, and I had to deal with a friend suffering from hypothermia on Signal Ridge Trail. So got some good stories. We'll give a little bit of history, and we'll talk about like strategies for hiking Mount Carrigan. Later in the show, Stomp is going to lead a brief discussion about broken specter phenomena. Um, so this is like sort of a, a cool sort of rainbow type of thing here. Um, so all this and some stories of hikers getting in trouble over the weekend. It's tourist season up in the white, so we got some stories. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Let's get started. So we're sober and Octobering here, Stomp. But yeah, I saw you drinking something. What are you, what are you drinking? <laughs> something? It's a, it's a cranberry lemon Celsius. Thank you, Larson. Larson and Steve Mason turned me on to these drinks. And I added a bunch of honey because you can hear it. I'm just like whew, congested and stuff, but it's delicious. How about you? Anything That's good? That's great. Hi. I'm drinking some uh, strawberry lemonade from Trader Joe's. <laughs> so a little sparkling <laughs> strawberry lemonade. Oh, boy. Sounds good. Oh, man. My wife was prepping at Trader Joe's. Yeah. Oh, I'm now broke. I was so, so. I was so heartbroken this weekend. One of my daughters came up, and I was sick as a dog, so I didn't get to see them and hang out. And, of course, they went out to Fugaki's for the best Mai Tai in the region, and oh, I right. missed that, too. Anyway, <laughs> well, I broke my vows. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. It so happened. Like I went hiking on Saturday, and then I was originally supposed to do. Well, we're going to talk about Mount Carrigan, so we can get into that in a minute. But um, I was originally supposed to do the big loop, but then my wife had given me a heads up, and she was like, "We're well, going to a party at four o'clock on Saturday." And I was like, "Well, you know, even if I get on trail by six a.m. and I got to do like a fourteen or fifteen mile loop, it's going to be a little bit tight to get there." So yeah. I just did the Elton. Out and back, but I got to the party, and you know they had like the barbecue, and everyone was hanging out, and like somebody just threw an IPA in my hand, and I was like, oh, <laughs> well, I just won't tell Stomp. But now I'm like, the, I'm the, like, I can't lie. The flesh is weak. Yes, yeah. So, but but it was only five point five percent alcohol, so it doesn't count. <laughs> right, it's gonna be a ten, a triple IPA. Yes. Yeah. So, but I'm still I'm I'm re re sobering October now. I'm, I've got I've turned over new leaf. Yeah. Oh, it's, it feels great. It's awesome. Yeah. All right. So I did the hike. We're going to talk about the Kerrigan in more detail in a minute. You've been sick, so you haven't gotten out. Nope. Um, but do you have any notable hikes to share with us from listeners? Oh, I do actually. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer Rooks and Rick R. 23 Paws uh, did a hike up South Cube Mountain for, I believe it was for Rick's birthday. So happy birthday and nice work. Jakester. Um, did Square Ledge, Coffee and Vinyl, did Mount Height, Carter Dome, and A Night at the Hut. That's always a great trip. Yeah, it's a great trip. It's always a great trip. It's a great area. So uh, what do you think, Mike? Anything notable about well, I love, these? I love the overnight on height, but I, I think Cube is my favorite. So I'm going to give Jennifer the shout out this week and say, you know, Thumbs up for going to Mount Cube this time of the year. <laughs> nice. Oh, actually, <laughs> wait a minute. Oh, God, look at this. Cindy and Lynn from 40... I missed two. They were on the second page. Oh, that's right. That's right. The, 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 didn't the Alzheimer's group do Welsh Dickey, too? Uh, they were all over the place this weekend, but uh, Cindy and Lynn tagged us for uh, North and Mid Tri-Pyramid, and they had their fancy clothing on. Uh, Jakester, again, did Eagle Mountain after yard work, and I'm not quite sure where this Eagle Mountain was. So, yeah. I Sorry, sorry folks. I forgot about those two. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, notable. They're all notable. Everybody gets an award. 
amazing photos coming <laughs> through on social media this week, though. Amazing. Oh, uh, yeah. Photos. As a matter of fact, I saw a lady posted photos from a sunrise hike this morning on Chikora. Yeah. And it was the most amazing sunrise. It was like this purple color that I couldn't believe. I'll, I'll just see if I can find those. Give her a shout out. But like there's some awesome photos of foliage, too, coming out. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good season for it. Uh, it's going to be around. I, I guess this weekend we also had the the split contrast between the foliage below tree line and the snow above tree line, and that's an epic moment. That's a marker. Yeah. Like winter's coming. Yeah, yeah. I got. I actually, I got a couple of photos like that. So Did you? I can, I can post. Yeah, I'll do that. Uh, but awesome. anyway, let's get into this. We're going to do a deep dive on Mount Carrigan. So this mm. is uh, a mountain that is right in the dead center of the White Mountain National Forest. It is known as a peak where you can see, I think, every other 4,000-foot mountain in the whites. Is that true? Can you see past Mount Washington to get to the rest of those presidentials? Oh, I would... I don't know about that. I'm not yeah, sure. Either, but that's, that's what I've re- I've heard that before, that I, I you have can see too. more 4,000-footers from Carrigan than anywhere else. Well, I think that's the right way to say it. I, I don't think you see all of them, but... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I don't know. Like maybe Mount Bond would be the other one where you'd see, but I'm not sure. Possible. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. How about Mount Washington? <laughs> well, yeah, that's true too. Um, I, but I don't know if you can see like down into Osceola and Tecumseh, and then the, you get past like the Pemi. But anyway, yeah. Let's dive into some White Mountains history, shall we? We, we're getting off track here. Mount Carrigan. So first of all, the naming history. So this is named after Philip Carrigan. Uh, he was an early map maker. Um, and he was known for naming a lot of the well-known places in the White Mountains. So you had the um, the Belknap Cutler um, expedition that had originally named Mount Washington. It had come in in like the late 1700s. Carrigan came on the scene in like the early 1800s and he was part of the Weeks Bracket Party, um, which was guided by Ethan Allen Crawford. And they had actually climbed um, Mount Washington and they were the ones that named the additional presidential peaks. So like Monroe, Adams, uh, Madison, um so they they had you know basically named those those northern presidentials and um, he was involved in naming other locations. So he had named like Mount Eastman, Mount Willard, the Kinsmans. Um, he was the one that had used the term Pemigewasset and Franconia in his maps yeah. early on. So the way that these maps these early map makers worked is that. You know, they would add on to each other, and then, like, when somebody else would make a new map, they would take some of the names from the the previous maps that they had access to, and then they would add new ones. They would change the names around. Like, if you look at early maps of, like, Pemigewasset and Franconia, they're spelled differently than they are now. So, um, yeah. Philip Carrigan was, um, you know, one of these early map makers, and, you know, he was part of this this expedition of Weeks Bracket that had, you know, been involved in exploring it. So his map from 1820, I believe, was one of the maps that I think 
was used as the basis up until like probably the 1860s, 1880s. I think Guillot was another map maker that took a lot of the maps that were done early around the time the Kerrigan was around yeah. and built on it. So fascinating stuff. These are the ones that are responsible for all the names that we, we were all familiar with now, Stomp. Yeah, right. Yeah. Slasher's hiking topic of the week. So anyway, uh, but I'll, I'll add a little bit more detail about Philip Carrigan and his early map-making exploits. We've got some links that we can include. So as far as hiking goes on Mount Carrigan, common approaches here. So typically most people will go come in through Sawyer River Road, which is off Route 302. So when you think about the White Mountains, you always want to think in terms of are you on the Route 93 side or are you on the Route 16 side? Yeah. Otherwise known as are you on Lincoln or North Conway side? This area is on the North Conway Bartlett side. So Sawyer River Road is a seasonal road that is open usually up until November. Then they'll shut it down. Um, but you you drive along Sawyer River Road about a mile, mile and a half to get to the trailhead. As you approach Sawyer River, you will see a an abandoned and some say haunted logging town off to the left, which is called Livermore. Yeah. On your approach. So we've talked about Livermore before, right, Stomp? Yes, we have. Yep. Especially, I think, during last year's Halloween episode. Yeah. Because it's haunted. So, <laughs> yeah. I didn't stop at Livermore. Matter of fact, I should have done that this year, this 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 weekend, but I didn't. But I think Livermore is right before the, the parking lot. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. A couple miles before. Yeah. Well, it can't be a couple miles. Like, the only the uh. road... 302 to the to the parking the trailhead parking lot is about a mile and a quarter I think maybe a mile and a half okay yeah I, I yeah 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 probably right I was thinking like captain the end point you have yeah. to stop a little further for that but yeah halfway up yeah so when yeah exactly so when you come in from um, Sawyer River Road you are you park right in that lot it's a big lot you've got plenty of parking on the road if you need to you kind of have to squeeze over to the right because it's kind of narrow but there was a ton of cars when i left so parking is usually not an issue there even in its busiest periods uh, you might have to walk the road a little bit but the uh the trailhead there is signal ridge trail which is a flat trail for your first probably about mile and a half to two miles um it does enter a wilderness area but the, the trail follows a um, a drainage all the way up into Kerrigan Notch. And then when you approach probably about the two mile mark, um, junction, you are at, you start around 2000 feet elevation. And then when you get into Kerrigan Notch, you can split off and you can continue up Signal Ridge, which is the most direct way to get to Mount Kerrigan, or you can go to the right. And you can follow Kerrigan Notch, Kerrigan Notch Trail, which brings you past Mount um, Lowell, and then up up and around the backside, and you can approach uh, the climb from the Desolation Trail, right? Correct. But adjacent to Lowell is Vos Spur too, which is sort of northeast of Mount Carrigan. That's a really popular 500 uh, highest peak, and it's a bushwhack, but it's a very broken in established herd path correct yeah and that's about yep. 3800 feet roughly yep 
Yeah. And I, um, on Saturday, I actually hiked Mount Carrigan, so that's why we decided to do this, so it'd be sort of fresh in our minds. But I just basically got there at like 6 in the morning, started on the trail. I think I had my headlamp on for the first 10 minutes or so, and then after that, you know, the sun started rising. And, you know, my view, it's a straight shot for two miles, really quick. You get into Kerrigan Notch, and then um, typically the way the trail set up when you get to this trail split is it used to be you could just go to the left and follow Signal Ridge. For whatever reason, it looks like the Forest Service has the two-tenths of a mile section of the trail that keeps you to the left is shut down. Like they've got branches okay, are blocking it. I have no idea why. Interesting. But they have branches blocking both sections of that. And it sort of forces you to go around that little pond area. And it's a difference between two-tenths of a mile on that trail versus like over a half a mile uh, to get back over to Signal Ridge. So I had actually went the longer way when I approached. I went to the right, followed Kerrigan Notch, got to the trail split, and then did the the cut over back to Signal Ridge. Mm -hmm. But on the way back, I actually just hopped over the... The um, the trees that were in front of the trail and just followed that trail back gotcha. to um, to the trailhead. So I don't know. There was no signs or anything. It looks like either the Forest Service wants to shut that section down or for whatever reason somebody just took it upon themselves to do that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Could be either. Yeah, yeah. So this is very weird. I'm probably there's probably like somebody will reach out to me to tell me that like there's a an announcement was made. But um, anyway. Once you get to that section, Signal Ridge climbs. You go from about 2,200 feet of elevation up to about 4,700. So it's a pretty steady climb. Mm-hmm. I would say maybe two miles yeah, or so, two and a half miles. So very steady. My view, it's not a difficult hike. It's just a very steady, steady climb. Yeah, it reminds me of Mount Tecumseh. You know, it's like literally two miles straight, straight up. Yep. Very gradual. Yeah, exactly. And then... Um, you do get to a flat section where you top off. Um, you go across this section called Signal Ridge, which is maybe a quarter mile of being above tree line. You get great views down into Kerrigan Notch. Um, you can't really see to the north that well, uh, but the, the views over to Mount Lowell and Vospur are spectacular that way. Yeah. And I actually experienced that, like the frost up top, there was a little bit of snow going on, yeah. and then the foliage down below. It was, it was amazing. Super cool. Wow. Yep. It's a beautiful area for sure. Um, so so you can split. Instead of going Signal Ridge, you can go north through Carrigay Notch and then connect by mm-hmm. uh, Nancy. Is that next on your list? So from Nancy, how do you get in there from Nancy and Desolation? Yeah, so um, from that trail split, when you get to the Signal Ridge versus Carrigan Notch trail split, if you go to the left, that takes you to Signal Ridge, which I did, or you can just stay to the right and go through um, Carrigan Notch. That takes you to the bushwhack options where if you want to bushwhack up to Vospur, you can do that. Or you can actually take a right and bushwhack up to Mount Lowell. There's a number of different approaches there, which we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, But typically what most people will do is continue on the Kerrigan Notch Trail. That eventually connects into that Nancy Pond area and links up with the Desolation Trail, which brings you back up to the summit, sort of the long way around. So if you do it that way, a lot of people will do like a full loop, which I think is about 14 or 15 miles total. um, That brings you from the Signal Ridge Trailhead all the way around. And it's a big, nice big loop uh, hike. 
I actually just did the out and back, which is about a little over 10 and a half miles. I think it's about 10 and a half miles. Yeah. So, uh, but I think Desolation Trail is a, a much more steep climb than the gradual trail climb that you'll have on Signal Ridge. Yeah, that's what I hear. Um, yep. Interesting. And how about if you started at Nancy Pond? I haven't done that approach. Yeah, I haven't either. I hear it's beautiful. Yeah, so, yeah, Nancy Pond is, the trailhead is basically up on 302, maybe about a mile and a half, uh, small parking lot that you can get off of. And then um, it looks like based on the topography of the map that it's a pretty flat area that you could go through. Nancy Pond is maybe a, a, a couple of miles in. And then it's sort of the same approach as you would, you would connect with Desolation Trail and then climb Kerrigan from the back. That looks like it would be a you know maybe an out and back situation. Yeah, could be that you're doing a traverse and you come out through Signal Ridge and use a car spot or something like that. I guess you could even road walk if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one thing I just want to go back to when you are on Signal Ridge, you break up above tree line. You've got about a quarter mile to uh, the the summit. Where, oh, you've got a, about a quarter mile actually of open open trail on Signal Ridge before you go back into the tree line to approach the summit. Um, that area there is, you know, usually exposed to a decent amount of wind. I got hit pretty hard with the wind in the morning. So you do want to make sure that you sort of gear up when you're a little bit below tree line. You can hear the wind really clearly, so you'll get a sense of whether or not you're going to get hit with it. And then, you know, it's another half mile or so to get to the peak of Kerrigan. And Kerrigan has a... Um, observation tower i don't know if you call it like a fire tower it's not enclosed or anything like that it's just basically like a a three-story uh tower that you can climb and it's an observation deck um and then around the tower there are designated campsites so uh to your left there's a camping area that has probably enough room for about four or five tents easily easily um you know, set up for uh, hammocks as well. And then on the other side of the platform, it looks like there's some overflow tent sites, whether they're legal or not, I don't know. But yeah. the, the the camping area below the summit platform is signed for tenting. So I'm assuming it's legal. Yeah. Otherwise, it's pretty tight scrub up there, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I mean, but that area there, I mean, there's a ton of ton of spots for, for tents. Sure. Right, right below the platform. Yeah. Yeah. And Signal Ridge itself, with all that open ledge and rock and scrambles, it's beautiful, isn't it? It's gorgeous, yeah. yeah. And I've been, the other thing too is in the winter, it's it's pretty amazing there. It's like you're, you're I feel like if you're going to do that as a winter hike, that's one of the more remote areas in the whites in the winter. Yeah. No question about it. You've got a hell of a yeah. walk up that road or whichever way you come into it to even think about getting up there. Yeah, yeah. The gate closes in November, and then from then on, it's the road walk up Sawyer Sawyer Pond Road, and that's about a mile and a half, I think, maybe a little bit longer. I'm not sure. Yeah. Now here's the the approach that always gets neglected, and I think it's probably one of the more remote and beautiful approaches, and it's through the Hancocks basically. So, parking on the Kank, heading in towards the Hancocks, and taking Hancock. No, wait a second. Is it Hancock Notch? trail i think so yeah, yeah i'm trying to oh hancock notch trail so basically you're heading towards the hancocks and you're eventually going to come to a junction with a trail sign that is aiming towards hancock notch trail which 
it, it's basically running above the Huntingtons and south of South Hancock. And eventually it's going to bring you over back to um, just what we were talking about. So Signal Ridge. Sorry, I've got fog. I've got like fever fog here. And um, Forest Road 56, I believe, where you can head off to the captain. So that's a really neat spot too. And um, if you do some exploring on Google Earth, for instance, you see all these northern ravines that head up just south of the Hancocks, which absolutely absolutely look beautiful for bushwhacking. And I'm sure you could find some neat things in there to explore. It's an awesome area. Yeah, it is. So yeah, you can come into the Hancocks. The other approach that you can take is from Lincoln Woods if you really want to go long and oh. do like an overnight backpacking. Yeah. And it's not that, you know, it's it's pretty flat is you can take the east side trail. So instead of going over the bridge from Lincoln Woods, you take that east side trail. Yeah. Eventually that connects with the Wilderness Trail and then that also gets you into that um, Kerrigan Notch desolation trail nancy brook area there so if you can get a car spot or that's um something like that that, that is, is some a great, deep great deep area. stuff dude that is deep into the pemi wilderness so i guess oh, my yeah. comment about these trails they're a little less traveled and a little more prone to be in rougher shape <laughs> you know i hear a lot of stories about hancock notch trail in particular being a little bit more rugged than your typical trail yeah, and the thing too, like the Hancock Notch thing is interesting because there's, so, I mean, you know this from playing around there, but there are a lot of um, sort of roads, like fire roads and, and cutovers, and it's like a, it's it's a bit of a maze um, coming off a of Hancock Notch trail. And there, but the the nice thing is, is that there are a couple of cutovers where you can you can cut from sort of that Hancock Notch area over to Signal Ridge, um, pretty pretty easily so you know there are a little bit of shortcuts there but when you're going in from the Pemi and Lincoln Woods that's basically a straight shot along the Pemi you're following that for I don't even know how many miles it's got to be probably about 10 miles or so before you get to the cutover so you're going to go into some like you're going to go past some really remote trails like Thoreau Falls and Shoal Pond Trail that get almost no travel uh, especially in the winter <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, so it's a great area stomp, and you know, like I said, there's a platform on the top. There's camping right below, so it's a great place if you want to go and like camp out and see the sunrise. Uh, many people finish their 4,000 footers on Mount Carrigan. It's it's one of the more popular ones. Matter of fact, as I was hiking down, I got spotted by some listeners, Mike and Noel, and they had a third person with them. I didn't catch her name. But Mike had said, like, hey, you know, I, I listen to the podcast. How you doing? And mm -hmm. then um, no, he was telling me Noel, who he was with, was finishing her 4,000 footers that day. So yeah. a lot of people will use uh, Kerrigan as their, their last hike. Yes. And I have a comment regarding lists. Yep. There are no 52 of the views in this area. There are no T25s, but there are a boatload of 500 highest peaks. Um, I mean, Carrigan obviously counts, but even when you park at the Signal Ridge parking lot, just north uh, west, 200 feet higher, is Signal Ridge parking lot peak at 2243 feet. You can bag that. Uh, we talked about Volspur already and Mount Lowell. Mount Anderson, um, the captain is is nearby as well. 
So there's a lot of cool stuff in that area for the 500. So you can check that out. Yeah, and one one correction stomp is that the Desolation Trail is an elective elective trail on the Terrifying Twenty Five. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's oh, because of the, of the steepness going up to Carrigan. Yeah, correct. Gotcha. Cool. Correct. So yeah, it's a uh, it's a great area. There are Gray Jays on there too. So if you want to have your Disney Princess moment, uh, I saw Gray Jays um, lower down on the trail, maybe about you know thirty five hundred feet mark. Uh-huh. There was one on on trail, and then there was a bunch that were uh, up on the platform hanging out. Matter of fact, some guy had had been with me. I had got to the platform. And this guy was by himself. He's just sounds like he's just getting into hiking a little bit. Looked like a trail runner type of dude. And um, we were both up on the platform. We were chit chatting a little bit. And he was like, "Oh, look at that bird!" And uh, so I got out my um, my little bird feed food that I have when I see the gray jays. I'm sorry, I feed the gray jays. I apologize. Come at me, I guess. But um, I, I showed the guy like, "Oh, those things will fly right on your hand." He was absolutely amazed. Yeah, he was like, "This is the most amazing thing ever." So we were taking pictures. I was explaining to him about what gray jays are and the camp robbers and the whole history, and you know, it was a cool moment. Hmm, that's awesome. Well, congrats. Yeah. I haven't been up there probably since the Lowell shoot, but I, I hope to get up there yeah. again sometime or another. Yeah, yeah. And why don't you? I think you've talked about that a little bit, but why don't you just briefly talk about what you did up on the Lowell shoot? Sure. The, I believe it's the uh, western side of Mount Lowell facing Carrigan. You'll see just a massive uh, sheer cliff wall of ledge. And if you're standing on Signal Ridge itself and you're looking east, you'll see it. It's pretty stark. And uh, to the southern end of that cliff wall, you'll see this dark little gorge. And it's a gully. It's maybe, I don't know, a thousand feet high. And uh, Jimmy Chaga, myself, and another, uh, Casey, Casey, um, man, man, I got foggy brains. Breeds. Yeah, breeds. Thank yep. you. Uh, tackled it. And I mean, people have done it since, which is really cool, but uh, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody, but it's just a gully, super sheer gully with towering walls of, you know, really brittle, wet, rotten ledge on either side. So, um, you know, there are five or six pitches within there and we free climbed it. There's no way you could use equipment. And it was the scariest thing I've ever done. And, um, you know, to see people like Steve Mason and Gwen tackle it now is just phenomenal, but, uh, not recommended. I mean, I, we, I had an occasion where a bowling ball sized rock let loose from Casey above me, hit me right on my right shoulder, like square right on my clavicle. Uh, it's that kind of place. You know, and there's yeah. no place yeah. to hide. <laughs> when you do get up top on Mount Lowell, is there any views? It looks like it's pretty pretty forested. It's forest, forested, but there's one viewpoint just off the canister, maybe 30 feet away uh, to the northwest. And okay. then uh, getting down is a nightmare. It's, it's really thick, and uh, the topography is just undulating, shall I say. It's yeah. just up and down and yeah. just rough. Uh, yeah, it looks it's it's interesting when you're on Signal Ridge and you look at Mont Lowell, it almost looks like a dragon had just sort of dragged its fingertips across it because there's like three or four of these gullies that are just carved into the side of it. Yeah, neat stuff. I, I would love to try the other uh, p- 
proportions there because I think they're a little easier, a little more oh, accessible. They, the ones like if you're looking at them from Signal Ridge, like the ones to the left, yeah, which is more to the north, seem much more reasonable. Sure, sure, like a Percy Peaks or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they seem much more reasonable. Um, but I've had my own calamity on um, on Mount Carrigan. I We did a winter hike, so we had to do we had to basically. Hike in. We had to break trail on the road. There was five of us, I think, maybe six of us, and we set up camp right at the bottom of Signal Ridge at the you know twenty two hundred foot mark, kind of where that trail that's now shut down is. Off to the right, there's a, a nice water source, and then uh, it's a nice flat area in the winter to camp. Yeah. So we set up our camp there, and then you know that that day we decided we're going to go to the summit and then come back down. So we were able to leave some of our gear. One of the one of my friends had decided he was going to go fast and light. We were going a little bit slower because we had, you know, we did have our gear with us. And unfortunately, like he got too far ahead of us, was kind of waiting for us. We finally all got up to the platform. He was moving around to keep warm, but he just didn't have any gear with him to like warm him up when he was carrying stuff and and all this. So we were behind him. He went ahead, and unfortunately. Um, you know, he just wasn't able to retain heat, and by the time we got back to our camp, he was in the throes of hypothermia. So I think I've told this story before, but he was in significant um, pain over the hypothermia. He did make it into his tent, uh, but when we got back, there was three of us that got back around the same time, and he was screaming. My friend had gone into the tent and had realized, like, this was really serious. Me and my other friend, Tom, who I'm going hiking with this weekend— we were able to get um, our, our stove going, heated up some food that didn't do the trick. You know, he was still sort of screaming and delirious and we were like freaking out, sort of thinking about like, okay, who's going to hike back to the road or are we going to hike up to um, Signal Ridge to get a, a cell phone signal? So that's an important thing people need to remember is sort of mark where you have cell phone connection when you're in, in the wilderness area because for us, it was a lot quicker to actually hike up to Signal Ridge to get cell phone connection to call for help. Mm. We didn't end up calling, but we had those discussions as we were sort of warming up the, the food. Eventually, we said, screw the food. We warmed up hot water, and then when we got him hot water in, that did the trick. Settled him down. Yeah, He was able to sort of get back under under control for the night, and we were able to hike out that, that next morning. But very scary, very touch and go, and we learned a lot from that trip. And I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. Did you did you fire up the water, or did, were you carrying the hot water? We had to heat boiling it. it. We yeah. had to heat okay. it. Yeah. yeah, it's a miracle. Yeah. It's a lifesaver. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, instantaneous. He went from screaming and delirious to um, sort of back to his normal senses within probably three minutes. Yeah, when we did that, which was which was crazy. And it was just but, water. Yeah, it was just hot liquids getting in, getting into him. So, yeah. and that's why in the winter hiking, I always carry a thermos with hot liquid, so I don't have to worry about heating it up. In that situation, there we were gone all day. Back to Jello. That's you know, a good we had too. our stove. We were we were backpacking and camping overnight, so we didn't even think to heat water up. We were like, we can heat water up when we need it. Yeah, 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 totally. That's super cool. So, but those packets yeah. of like gelatin, what I do is I carry uh, you know a thermos with a packet inside and it's empty or, you know, I f- I'll fill it up and do what I need to and add that jello. Jello is another n- miracle that, that deep sugar, the carbohydrates. 
yeah good stuff yeah yeah no i never never thought about that but i i typically will just have hot chocolate with me because yeah. i like having that so i'll drink if i if i'm winter hiking like i'll drink a little bit up on the peak and then when i get back in the car i'll finish it up yeah wow neat story scary stuff anyway but mount carrigan is a great area it's it's an amazing place for foliage and like i said like there's a um you know plenty of parking there I, I had nobody on trail when I was hiking. I saw one guy on the platform. As I was coming down, there was literally hundreds of people coming up because it was like, you know, I got on trail at six. Nobody else was there. Mm. Um, but it was crazy this weekend. So I think a lot of people got some great views up there. Yeah, great weekend. Glad you enjoyed it while I was home suffering. Yeah, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry you were suffering, but why don't we move on to segment two, which is broken specter phenomena. Yeah, I think this, I, I've seen a lot of these images posted lately, and it's probably a function of the, the season and, uh, you know, the condensation and this and that. So I believe uh, Christina uh, from White Mountain Endurance posted one as well, and I think it was her first image that she saw. So you may have seen pictures posted of a ghostly, blacked out figure with a uh, a spherical rainbow surrounding them. Um, it's very, very interesting. Well, there's some history to this. It's actually called, uh, in German, it's Brocken, Brockengespenst, which is broken bow or mountain specter or the specter of the Brocken. And uh, the history dates back to the 1700s, 1780 actually, the first one was observed and described by Johann Schilberschlag. So it's a very interesting phenomena. So what we're looking at here, um, it's a shadow essentially. It's a magnified shadow of an observer cast in midair upon any type of cloud opposite to a strong light source. Uh, additionally, if the cloud consists of water droplets backscattered, a bright area called Heilengeschein, who knows, uh, or halo-like rings. That's a great description of what that is. Halo-like rings of rainbow colored light, which are also known as glories. So if you dig a little deeper and look into glories, glories are these visual phenomena that people are seeing and posting about. It's like almost like the return of the baby Jesus, you know what I mean? Like, what is mm -hmm. that? It's fascinating. Um, so glories are always directly opposite of the sun, centered at the anti-solar point and therefore below the horizon, except that sunrise and sunset. Uh, look for them whenever there's mist or cloud beneath you and the sun breaks through to shine on it. They are formed when light is scattered backwards by individual water droplets. I mean, it's just fascinating. Um, and, and it came to be known as the broken specter. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty it neat. Like, it looks like somebody's standing sort of in, you know, standing with their arms raised and then there's <laughs> yeah. just a circle of a rainbow around them. Yeah, it's very interesting. I've seen them in the clouds. I've seen them in the strangest places, but apparently it's just a reflection. Now, is this different than like I've seen those like white rainbows as well? This is different than that, right? I, well, I'm not sure what you mean, white rainbow. There's like a white rainbow. It's like a cloud rainbow. Um, it's there's no color to it, but it's the same thing as a rainbow. I I'm not familiar with that, to be honest with you. Okay, I'll do some research on that and find out. I have some seen some of those, um, not rainbows, but strange, like almost vertical lines of refracted light that are rainbowish. 
Um, I don't know. There's so much out there, dude. Yeah. But, yeah, it is interesting. Can you imagine what like the people like thousands of years ago saw that and didn't oh. understand like the science behind it and they'd just be like, Oh my god. Absolutely. Our God is here. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. So Crazy anyway, stuff. I don't even know what uh what section of the podcast this would go under, but there it is. Maybe we should start a yeah. science section. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to do that. I have to get something going. I did see a couple of like crazy rainbow photos on Mount Washington from yesterday. There was some like there's some there's been some awesome um, light effects going on up in, up in the presidential. So it's cool. Oh, that's great. Cool. So, um, segment three here, Snop. This is recent search and rescues, um, starting with our ultimate favorite spot on uh, Foliage Weekend, Artist Bluff. Uh, I don't really have much news on this. Uh, I saw this online. I, of course, heard about it through the groups and whatnot, but um, apparently there was an injury up there. Uh, Details to follow. I looked today before showtime, and there's no report out yet, but it was a very busy weekend in the notch because it was pouring out it was cold and pouring so it was slippery and there was a million people out so keep a lookout for the reports come on people artist bluff it's like it's like a par- it's like two seconds away from the parking lot come on <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> troll <laughs> He's trolling. Anyway, anyway, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But all right. So the next one here is um, this one happened on um, looks like October 10th, which I think is be Saturday or Sunday. Fishing game was notified of an injured trail runner on the Mount Isolation Trail on Sunday afternoon around 3:30. So um, this is a 24 year old gentleman from New Hampshire local guy, suffered an unknown leg injury during his trail run that prevented him from being able to make it out on his own. So he was doing a multi-mile, multi-hour trail run as a training regimen for an ultra marathon he was going to be competing in. So he started from his house, uh, local guy in Intervale, um, which I think Intervale is like Jackson, right? Essentially. Uh, Yes. I think it's like one of the, one of the like, they have like weird villages and stuff there. So I think Interville is part of Jackson. Correct me if I'm wrong, people. Yeah. Um, but around 8.30 and he was going to go about 40 miles. He was um, probably about five mile, five hours into this. He was running south on the Mount Isolation Trail when he veered out of the path of passing hikers with a dog. Oh, no. Yeah. The dog probably caused the guy to wipe out. But anyway, he ended up striking a boulder with his left hip. And suffering an injury. So he was probably ripping like narrow, those are narrow trails, probably ripping pretty fast and then came upon some hikers with a dog and then got startled and uh, wiped out. So the guy tried to self-rescue for about two hours before he finally called for help. And he was 4.2 miles from the Rocky Branch Trailhead parking lot. So four conservation officers and seven volunteers from uh, Androscoggin Valley Search and Rescue responded to the call. The student was able to wobble down the trail while waiting for rescue, and um, he made it approximately a half a mile before the first rescue was met him. So he was in a litter 
around three and a half miles from the trailhead. So big thumbs up to this dude for like gutting it out and getting that that close to the trailhead. Uh, eventually they got him in at like 1030. So this dude had a long day. Um, yeah. He declined an ambulance and was ultimately transported via private vehicle. So he was local. So um, that sucks. So unfortunate incident. Got tangled up with the other hikers and the dog and his day was ruined. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. That sucks. But um, all right. And the next one is a climber perishes in Clow State Park. So this happened on October 9th at approximately 4 p.m., individual had been climbing a cliff near the Everett Dam in the town of Weir. Yeah. Uh, the cliffs were off trail and not part of a designated climbing area. And this individual had, much like Stomp and his crew on Mount Lowell, had no climbing gear or safety equipment. Right. Um, despite life-saving measures, attempts by the Weir Fire Department and Weir police officers, um, this individual succumbed to their injuries. So. Oh, actually, you know what? I had a bicycle helmet on. You did. That, you did. That's okay. got to count for something. That definitely does, yeah. <laughs> that would protect you from a 10-foot fall. <laughs> right. Um, or like a boulder coming down on your shoulder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One use only. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but anyway, I guess with this, like, th- this, this recovery, unfortunately, was difficult. So conservation officers had to arrive on scene. They were called to assist with a high-angle ex- extraction, and they had to utilize... I guess, high angle rope rescue techniques in order to um, do a safe extraction. So we are fire police and the conservation officers were able to get the victim from the scene without incident. And the the details on the victim are being withheld, but it's sad. You know, I think he was free climbing, maybe messing around near um, this Everett Dam. I don't know much about it, um, but unfortunately he passed away. Yeah. Yeah, it's a sad story. Yes, it is. So I'm sure that there's probably some more press releases that we didn't include this week. I think I shared a couple, but we'll get those in the next show, Stomp. And this one is short and sweet compared to the last couple we've done. Yeah, no kidding, huh? Unusual. Yeah. Yeah, well, we gotta get you got to get rested up and, and uh, get back to normal. And then I am preparing for a nice big overnight hike on Mount Isolation with my friend Tom to finish his 4,000-footer list. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, have fun out there, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yes, yes. The year of the Lord next time. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Amen. All right. Very good. (laughs) Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stump, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow.
Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. And I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.